good to be here. Uh, by the way, those questions, it's not stump the guests, okay? Let's be honest, people. Don't get too smart on me. Uh, you know what we should do? Oh, well, first of all, thank you very much. Uh, I just, uh, really just listening to you speak was just settling me into peace and what you guys are talking through in your series. But uh, it's just an honor to be with you. Uh, me and that's just three of my five sons, and I have two beautiful daughters. So wait, that's seven. If you're, and we have a uh, six. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it. Yeah, my wife's back at home. So anyway, we have uh, six grandkids. Uh, I am a former business guy that got into planting churches. So I planted one in Portland, Oregon, and one in Ventura, California, and we live up in Ojai right now. So. Um, anyway, I would just love to pray before we get uh, going, and, and uh, I really want the Lord to do the talking. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. We're just so thankful to be able to come into your presence. You're ahead of us. You direct our steps. You go before us, and, and you know what we're here for today. You know what each one of us needs to receive, and so Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move, that you would teach, that you would be the one speaking that this could be a sacred, unique space, that this isn't just any old time, but this is a time set aside that, that you can make holy, that you have made holy through the cross of, of our Jesus, of our Christ, of our Savior. So thank you, Lord, that you've invited us into redemptive ways, that we don't have to be broken, lost, or hurt, or continue to be caged up or oppressed by evil and the enemy. Lord, this is a liberating time where we hear from your word, we get realigned, and so, Lord, we, we just submit to that. We want to take a low position underneath your footstool. Everything's below you. You are the king and master of the universe. So, Lord, we just see that. We understand that. We recognize that, and we've already worshiped. And, Lord, help us to receive more for strength and nourishment. We want you to speak, Lord. When we leave here... Who cares who the speaker was? It was that your word was spoken. So we love you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I know uh, you have the scripture here, and as you're uh, finding it, if, in case you didn't know, or if you're going to go into your Bible before we read that, um, we are in 1 Thessalonians. And before we just drop into that, just let me give you a little bit of a backdrop of what's happening, right? As you have all these guest speakers and people are just dropping random scriptures, um, just to give you an idea of what's happening is Paul is writing to a people that uh, formed a family. Um, they're in a dynamic city. So Thessalonica, who he's speaking to and where he spent time was the Apostle Paul, who's a church planter, who starts all these churches in Macedonia. He's writing to the people of Thessalonica. And that was a city that was, um, they kind of were in a northern gulf the most northern part of the Aegean Sea. And they're uh, really the way I would think of it is kind of like a San Francisco. They're a very innovative, forward city. Um, they've got dynamics going on. They're on trade routes. So obviously everything's a waterway. Where he was before this is he was in Philippi with more business people. If you look in Acts 17, you would see that Paul was planting a church there. He met all kinds of people, brought the gospel there. So they did the same here in Thessalonica, but they're in this real like beachhead type place that's a very important place, probably the largest and most important city in this region. And so what happens is Paul would normally go to a synagogue and he would use that as a place to wedge in the gospel. He would start reasoning with people uh, through the Jewish synagogue, and, and, uh, and many people started to come to Christ, the Jewish people there. Well, that created a lot of tension because for, for a long time, people are believing certain things about God, and then the paradigm of Jesus and the things that Paul is speaking is new to their ears. Where should I stand so we don't get all this? Back up? Okay. And they're like, thank you, because he was in my lap. Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, what's happening is, you know, there are reasoning, Gnostic, like thinking, knowledge-based culture, and they love the discussion. Not just short little tweets or small discussions, but they would go into depth. And it, and it was a real challenge to bring the gospel there because there was all of this convergence of different worldviews because it's a, it's a uh, metropolitan area that's, that's really 
bringing all these different worldviews in. But the two major ones is, one, there's a lot of Jewish people starting to come to see life in Jesus. And then now it's spreading to the Greek people, the indigenous people around that area. And so you can turn this off also if you need to, because I have a loud mouth. But anyway, uh, I just feel bad for these reverb people. But, um, but anyway, so a lot is happening in that time. So there's tension. There's people in the Jewish community and in the Greek culture that are now giving over themselves to God. And they're becoming a family, a diverse family, with all of these different backgrounds, similar to what's happening here, where people come from every type of place, they converge on a metropolitan area, and they have all of these different stories and backgrounds. But what they find in common is the liberating message of, of the king of, of the universe is Jesus. But it's creating tension, and, and people are, are getting angry. And so what's happening is Paul is, has formed this family that he's taken so much heat that they have him leave the area. And so now he's writing from Corinth, another vital city, but uh, a, a real wild city, which more people would say that's kind of like he went from San Francisco down to L.A. There's a lot of happening. He's, he's meeting Hollywood industry people. He's out at the Silicon Beach. He's, you know, the 50 different L.A.s are starting to be affected. But his heart is for this family that's been formed in Thessalonica. And he's speaking to them. And, and, and frankly, he longs for them. And so we're coming into this letter. As though, I mean, it's a, it, it's a real historic letter we're reading, and you're going to see the sentiment here of somebody who has spiritually parented a family and formed a family. And so he's deeply involved and in, in enmeshed with these people. And so, but he's been persecuted. He's sent, he feels terrible. He has sent a disciple, Timothy. You may have heard of him if you've read the Bible. So he sends Timothy to go be with the people, and then Timothy comes back and gives them a report, okay? And so anyway, it, which is very encouraging. So let's just get into the word now. First uh, Thessalonians, we're going to start at chapter 2, uh, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, verse 4. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it's come to pass, and just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy's come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, affliction we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. If you're standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. All right. That's a lot. 
And you're thinking right now, how are we going to cover all that? There is no way this is going to be possible. You're right. Let's just give up. <laughs> no, uh, if you are a note taker, I will break it down for you right now. Verses 17 through 20, we're going to talk right now about frustrated plans. What does it look like when there's been a hindrance, when things have been frustrated? The middle of this in chapter 3, when we get there, verses 1 through 5, is missional plans. And then we're going to close out uh, chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, with praise plans. That's what's happening when he receives that report from Timothy that we just read. Okay, so he sent Timothy. He's brought back a report. There's reason to have joy in that. Okay, but the first thing I want to ask you is, you hear this concern, you hear this concern um, about establishing the gospel in Thessalonica. So he's had this concern. He's been with these people. And the only way, and I guess maybe this is my first reminder, or maybe even a, a little lean on you, is how concerned are you about TCLA being the family similar to this, right? We're in a timeless faith. This isn't something trendy or that's trending or, or just seems to be popular for the moment because it's not popular, as most of you know. And uh, as we walk through our lives with our friends and our neighbors and our culture and maybe even our biological families, there's something that stands out. And so there, I just want to remind you that there's a deep concern that he has in establishing the gospel. And so I would just ask you, what does your deep concern look like? What would the evidence of your deep concern of TCLA being this kind of family where you would actually feel enough in your heart that you would realign your life enough around the gospel, yes, but also around the family of God, that you would have a deep concern? And I would say this is like hashtag uh, faith goals to say whenever you leave here, I would say that would you have a concern over TCLA? Whenever you go back home, whether you're a student or you're working or you go on vacation, would there be a concern for this family of God? Would this be brothers and sisters? And so to me, that's a huge invitation that is often uh, foregone because we're so consumeristic and many times we're just like, well, this is kind of what I'm getting out of it. But what is your concern and what in your life would you, if you reflected later today, would say, yes, you know what? I am deeply concerned about the gospel being established in Westwood and West LA. And if you live in the valley, then out in the valley. But this is the place that I call family and I have this concern. And so I would ask you this, the word affliction has come up a few times. And as we talk about these wilderness sermons, the affliction, what does affliction mean, by the way? Because sometimes I'm like, what? Uh, what does that mean? You hear that word like throughout the scriptures, you know, like how were these people afflicted and how would I be afflicted in 2022? So if I'm down for the family and we're down for Jesus, like what does affliction look like? Well, affliction to me, the easiest way to say it to you would to be say, he's saying we're so concerned and he even reminds them, remember I told you we would be afflicted. This is the part of the whole thing. And so, like, as you may be contemplating Christianity, I'll just tell you out of the gate, there's many parts of Christianity and following Jesus that is not easy. And affliction means that there's, like, ongoing pain. Hmm. Nobody wants to sign up for that. That's not how you came into this room. I bet you somebody didn't say, I go to, I'm a part of, like, this family of God, this church, called TCLA, and would you like to come and be afflicted with us? <laughs> you know, affliction is super popular. Like, that's a weird, <laughs> there's some mindsets there that maybe some people do like to be hurt or abused. I haven't met many people who want to be afflicted. But it's an ongoing thing. It's almost part of the DNA strand of faith. And I think we look at these letters, and to be honest with you, we feel removed from that. And we almost give ourselves permission. I don't know if it's because we were born in this empire, if we were born in this nation, we're built under such victory and strength that we just think we're above being afflicted. 
But I would say take yourself a little bit lower and allow yourself to be humble before the king that uh, was afflicted for you and suffered for you. Especially, I'm speaking to you if you're a Jesus person, if you're a Jesus follower. If you're not, I'm letting you know that somebody endured a lot, and we'll talk later about it, about the affliction and, and suffering for you. And why would, why would somebody do that for you? But then I would ask you, why would you do that for somebody? Why would you be so close-knit with somebody else's life that you would be afflicted and suffer with them? Can we imagine that? Like, what does that look like to go through that? And so these frustrated plans are that Paul had a care. He had a desire for these new children in the faith, right? But he says this, look in the first verse that we, we were at, verse 17. He says, torn away. Now, uh, Devin's much smarter than me, and he would know the Greek for this, but it's an apophorstaneth. Uh, I don't know how the end of this Greek word goes. But you know what it means? You may have heard it in there. It means torn away like an orphan. Torn away. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a picture. He's talking about, no, we just didn't say deuces, I'll see you later. I'm hopping on the bus, catching a plane. Can, you can see this type of love, this type of affection, where he had to leave so abruptly He's describing it. Like, if he was just this big exaggerator, I'd be like, isn't that a bit of hyperbole, bud? Aren't we being dramatic? Torn away? Torn away. When's the last time you left the presence of other Christians and you had to leave them and you felt torn away because you were knit so tightly? That's the, the fabric language of the Hebrews, which like where we get shalom, right? Peace. It's a fabric language, like when everything's in place and everything's good and all things are right, we have this place. He's saying, torn away. That sounds hostile. That's how, how terrorizing it was for them. Now, I do want to say this. This is something we don't have. We have a hard time going, am I afflicted? Am I suffering from my faith? Am I feeling torn away from from these relationships? Is this something like we can't fabricate? I can't make this happen. But I, I would say possibly if we were to, 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 to say, Lord, allow us to be persecuted because we see like that's a good recipe. I hate to say that. That's a good recipe in the, in the scriptures. When people are persecuted and there's a real cost, it seems as though the light and dark really start to have a contrast, as opposed to maybe the lethargic things where we're not suffering or afflicted for anything, or we're not in the town square. We, we are not invited as Christians to speak into things in the culture because we've lost that voice, right? So what does it look like if we're having this winsome way? How radical would it be to love so radically and be in such deep relationship with one another that people would look at that and have tension where they'd almost want to make fun of it? Like, oh yeah, that's your family? Oh really? You're with them again on Sunday? Weren't you with them on Wednesday or Tuesday? Like, okay, maybe we're getting started. Like, I'm going to take a little bit of ridicule. Do you know when you're driving down the car, in, down the 405, and you're, or you're in these crowded streets that, that, you could actually find satisfaction and communion with Jesus and going, I'm being ridiculed because I love these people? Something's right. But imagine desiring relationships to be that type where you would actually say, that's my spiritual brother. That's my spiritual sister. Like, of course, we're not, we're not blood, but what we have in Jesus and what are common, I think the church may be named that way, what we have in common. So what's he say in verse 18 though? There's, there's, a, there's a lot at stake here. Why would Satan want to hinder us? He's like, Satan's hindering us. That kind of sounds, I don't know. I'm, I get weary of people who are like, Satan's doing this to me and boo. And I'm like, bro, calm down. Not everything's so spiritual. It could be practical. But the truth is, is here's what's at stake. It'll be symbolized over here. Uh, communion. 
When you commune with God, there is a deep force and an adversary that not only wants to tear you away in that orphan language, but just absolutely doesn't want you to get here. Just wants you to scratch and claw and fight. And some of that can be the affliction. Like, I tried to get there. I tried to be present with people. And when you have communion and union with Christ, it's such a sweet, amazing place where God begins to regenerate your mind. He's renewing your mind and your heart. I'm getting chills up my spine right now, getting these little goosebumps on these really old arms, because God over and over tingles my soul. And to have communion with Him and to have Him be glorified in my life and in my relationships is fantastic. And then the joy that we have with one another, sometimes you may be going through the worst things, but when somebody's actually listening to you, focused on what your affliction may be, there's joy that supersedes it all, and that's what the Gospel provides. And so why would Satan want to hinder that? Because that's a force on this planet when we weave in together, when we have that peace, when the fruits of the Spirit begin to come through our words and our actions and our presence with one another. So have you ever felt like it's been impossible to get somewhere and you are discounting that as something practical? But, or sometimes it's your own sin. Sometimes it's your own rebellion. But what I'm saying is get thirsty for it. There's a life that these people are living where they feel like when they're not together, they've been ripped away. It's an abrupt thing to the harmony and the peace and the flow of their life. So far, I sound pretty spazzy. You're like, he's a very enthusiastic one. Well, there's nothing greater on the whole stinking planet than following King Jesus and watching Him establish His kingdom. It's worth everything. And any affliction you may have, it will just pale in comparison to the value and the worth of who God is, especially when we dump our face before His throne. When we realize right now we're below His footstool, everything's above Him. Everything's, I mean, everything's under Him. He's above all. This is so worth it. Consider the worth of who God is and what He's done for you, but not on the terms of you. Stop framing it around you. Let's frame it around Him. Let's frame it about what His purposes and His meanings are. Verse 19. Man, we better start running here. Uh, okay, check this out. So verse 19, he says, um, he says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us, 19, for what is our hope? Our joy, our crown, and boasting before our Lord at, at His coming, is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Okay, so Satan's also trying to hinder what's happening in each other's lives. Because, let me ask you this. Have you ever, this is going to sound so weird. This is what I think he's talking about. Our relationships are so important that I want you to have nutrients. I want you to grow in Jesus. I want you to understand what it means to be a family. I want you, look around right now. Just look around. You get permission to look around. People are like, really? You know, all of a sudden, we always have these neck braces on. We're like, really? I can look around? Okay. Yeah, so look around. These people belong. Every single one of them belongs. And they're available to you as long as they keep being here. You're invited into each other's lives. It's not said, right? It's not explicit. But when, you have, when you're present here, you have to be willing to just be together. You have to be willing to listen to somebody, share a little bit of your life, and a ton of Thessalonians is about that. But here's what's happening here. At some point, if I've got to be a part of your life, and I'm, I'm helping shape your life according to the Scriptures, and I'm discipling you, right, this intimidating word, but as you're being shaped, as I'm being shaped, as we're traveling together, this is what he's saying in verse 19. I'm showing off you to God before his throne. Like your soul. Devin and I rolled together at times. And, and, and if there was a time where I felt very influential or vice versa, it's like, here's what's happening in the family of God. It's like proud parent moments. Like my kids, when they have kids, oh, I, I see so many pictures of my grandkids. It's unbelievable. Because it's almost like they're presenting them to the grandparents. They love to get on FaceTime. My kids love showing me their kids. And so they'll show them off. And they'll be like, this is like just, I got one last night. My, uh, my granddaughter, Justice. Justice is a great artist. And I'm like, yes, she is. 
And that's 54 drawings I've seen of her. And that's amazing. She's so just isn't she? Or uh, Riley is, he lives in North Carolina. Riley is such a smart boy and blah, blah, blah. Yes, he is. But, that, but Paul's going, look at this soul, Jesus. Look what's happening with this person. Have you ever showed off a person's soul? That sounds so weird. But this is what he's talking about. We're coming into the presence of God, and you're like, Lord, Clark, uh, Anne. <laughs> I can't think of these names. Lupe, uh, Mariko, whoever, somebody I've been involved with that I love so much that I would never want to abruptly be torn away from, their soul, Lord, look how they're doing. I have a buddy who I poured into for years. He ended up leaving, and we, we felt that tension, and he ended up going to St. Louis, where he was from, and he started this crazy ministry that bought and sold houses and and mentored kids and from, from the hood and brought these kids up and continued to show them the gospel. And not everybody got the gospel, but he brought the gospel and their souls. I'm so proud of him. That's somebody I've talked to God and just presented his soul, going, Lord, where, he, where Lucas came from and who he is now. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, have you ever showed off a human soul? We're in the soul business of cultivating and nourishing. And we go in the presence of, of God Almighty. This, you know, We're dignitaries of things that are happening here. And God's, we're getting to show God the royal best. We get to go be in a relationship with God. And he says in verse 20, you are the glory and joy. So here's a simple question. The relationships that you have with believers a simple, practical question you can ask is, how would God get more glory in this relationship? Because you know what? I think we do get hindered by Satan. I think we, we, we become self-satisfying in relationships. And so relationships are a lot about, what am I getting out of this relationship? But what I think we should be asking, what the Scripture would re, repoint us to is, how could God get more glory in this relationship? And sometimes those relationships don't produce any glory. And there's no real joy of the Lord in them. And we have to think about those. Because there's the one, see, when lots of glory and joy are happening, then we feel like if it ended, that's a tearaway. And we've all had, have you ever had a, heart, a real heartbreak of being torn away from another believer? But sometimes... There should be boundaries because there's no glory coming to God. Who would show off your soul if you're not living in a godly way? If God's not being glorified? Um, so look at verse 20. So he talks about this glory, but he's also giving us a bigger vision here. And, and you can look at uh, chapter 3, verse 13 as well, because I think they marry up really well. In Christ, there's hope. They're saying the incentive is this. Why would we do this? Well, there's a huge picture. There's, the smaller picture is there's a whole lot of joy happening around us. And when we're afflicted and we're moving through this really hard uh, terrain together, there's joy to be had and glory for God. But the vision is the ultimate consummation of things. When Jesus comes back, he's like, hey, the big picture, the great presence, the great longing, as Paul is longing for these people, but Jesus has longed to be with us. And so we long to be with him. And so this is all about relationship. And the big vision is the hope and glory of Jesus. That there's no shame in that. Let me just read to you Romans, 1, uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Talking about this journey that we're doing. When the plans uh, seem to be frustrated, we remember the big vision. And so therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope and the glory of God, right? This, this scripture mirrors it, same author. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, I, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. See what's being presented to God as he's showing off souls, as he's talking about this is how we develop. This is how we grow. If you're wondering how we grow spiritually and what it looks like, 
Romans 5, he's talking about this exact thing. And hope that does not put us to shame because God's love. Why? Why are we doing all this? Why are we excited to see Jesus? Why is that the big picture? The hope and the glory of Jesus Christ? Because He loves us. He stinking loves us. That's probably the best thing I could say and the simplest thing I could say. You know what? God loves you, you stinky little good for nothing. My kids know that the real saying is, you good for nothing, low down gravy, sucking pig. God loves you. You're caught. You're kind of trapped. You're far from, from, this faith has not cost you hardly anything. Your friendships are about you. Right now, this is called asserting. I'm leaning on you. Do you long for Jesus? Maybe that's the biggest problem today and we can just scrap the rest of the sermon. Do you love Jesus? Do you know Him enough to have been loved by Him? Have you received His love? What's your relationship with God's love? I'm getting off track. But the reason I ask you is because if He's asking us to suffer and be afflicted and go through tough times together, not alone, never alone, He's never leaving or forsaking us. He's put us together. That's the gospel, is that He suffered. We have hurting hearts. He's had a hurt heart. We have doubting minds and temptation. Jesus has been tempted. This is for our growth. There's a longing love that does get hindered. That our own flesh gets us off course. But there's an increase to happen. God wants to increase your life. He wants to increase your experience. If you're not longing to see Jesus, if you're like, I don't even think heaven will be that cool. I have no idea about it. Then I want to say, lean in and talk further with one another. Search the Scriptures. But there's a victory and salvation that is being built up that the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross for the adversary, for against uh, our own sin against us trying to work ourselves into something better that we, we think is a swell life, but gives God no glory. That there's no real joy, but there's temporal happiness all of the time. Jesus died for us in the plight of suffering. Mark 8.31 says, And He began to teach them that the Son of Man would suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. It's resurrection power. And so what's happening here is if you're afflicted, if you're bummed, if you're hurt, even if you've been afflicting yourself, you're self-harming, your decisions stink, you're in a community that's stronger and has a greater voice than this place in your life right now, or there's a worldview that just keeps nagging at you, that gets you, that is moving you off the track. If that is the case, then Jesus has said, I, the final picture and the reason you're coming to me and the reason that I can talk about the hope and glory that Paul is, is talking about is because it's finished. It's all over with. There's an economy you just can't see. You're walking by faith. But I want you to know how much I love you and that you have resurrection power. You will resurrect again. So if you are afflicted right now, yes, there's a dirty secret about God sometimes. He moves real slow. Sometimes you feel like, what in the world? I've been afflicted. I've been going through this thing. I hate this piece of my life. I'm afflicted in some way, or I'm afflicted rightly, but I'm just waiting. When are you going to, to cast this off of me? When can I walk more freely? I want you to know that that's what the power of resurrection in action every day is for. Do you know that things can die and be and live again? Things can die and live again. God will take the worst and make the best of them. This is what God is doing. This is why we long to see Him. We're, we're over it. But in the meantime, you can have great joy and God can be glorified in little decisions that you give. You kill this thought. You, you, you give it to God and you say, I'm done with this thought pattern. I'm done with this lust pattern. I'm done with this worldview. I'm done messing around and being lukewarm in these ways. I see you. I long for you, Lord and Savior because of what you've done for me. And when we do that, then we go to uh, chapter 3, 1 through 5, then once we realize there's a frustrating fight, but that it's worth it because Jesus is coming and we're showing souls 
and we're in the soul business, and this is about eternal things, and we're establishing this, this home here at TCLA, we're being family, then we're on mission. Now the affliction can come against us, like football started yesterday. We can have defense against us, but we're moving the ball forward. We're living by faith. We understood the assignment. This assignment is, it comes with affliction. It's coming with hardship, but it's coming with sacrifice that's worth it. But the resurrection power is bringing things forward, and we're building momentum towards the same victory that was found for us at the cross. We're, pers we're persistent. There's persistent pain coming at us, but we're the commons. We, we have everything in common, and we're overcoming things practically. We're spending time together. We're listening to one another. You know, my wife had those seven kids. Let me tell you, she was afflicted. She had some suffering. There was some pain. And you know what? Some of God is birthing things. God is birthing glory in people. And so you sometimes, all you can do is just hold their hand as their focus, pinpoint focus on what's ahead of them. And then all of a sudden, joy is born, and joy comes in the morning, and joy comes in that situation, and, and God is glorified in that. But as friends, when people are afflicted or hurting for things that will be beautiful, we sit with them. Sometimes the best you can do, especially in this hot weather, is bring them a, a cold towel for their forehead. I'm still thinking of my wife having a baby. And also me telling bad jokes when she's in labor. She's like, no, that's not happening. You're done. Dead man. Get out of here. Doctor, get him out. Um, but the point is, is we're together. And we're watching good things be born. And we are in mission. Look at verse 2. He says, we're co-workers. We're God's co-workers. This is our lot. This is our assignment to establish the gospel. If you were to read Acts 17, which because it's such a good backdrop, read that later this week. These people were the ones who turned the world upside down. Spiritual gravity doesn't work in this way. Affliction should not be affecting us the way it affects everybody else. We, we build up an endurance. That's what Romans 5 said. It changes our character. We, don't, we go easy way, hard way. We're hard way people. That's not the way we were brought up. And I mean in Christian churches. That's not the way we were brought up. Easy way, hard way? Easy way, please. No, we do hard way. Like I said, nobody's really going to come in when you say, come to TCLA and be afflicted. Come join us for some suffering. You'll look like a weirdo. But if you did say, come be with some people who are down for the count, who understand the assignment of Jesus, who are willing to suffer and be afflicted. No, we're not dummies. We're not signing up for that. But it, we expect it. This scripture says we're going we're gonna to expect some of it. And how it comes and what it births is God's, joy, uh, God's glory and our joy. So the, this concept of pain sharing, right? We need to, to focus and, and give dignity to it. We're called to suffer so that others may grow. You're called to... You know, some people in this room are really annoying. What if you just practice on being afflicted by how annoyed you are in your flesh? And see if God changes your flesh. See, what I see God uses affliction as is your sanctification. See, he gets more glory because what the circumstances are pouring over you, and you stop trying to have control and you just receive what God's doing, and you receive a person that he made in his image, and you receive a situation that's happening that somebody's suffering and afflicted by, and all of a sudden you have time for them, you will walk away. If you give this to God and go, how can God have more glory during this coffee time or during while I'm listening after the service for the first two minutes? I challenge any of you to go, where does God want more glory and whoever I end up putting my eyeballs on and listening to, or whoever's going to listen to me? And is there any joy found in that? And if we were to do those little moments and add upon them over and over again, would we grow in our ability to be afflicted and to suffer through little things instead of us being so tender and worrying about ourselves all of the time? Could we have a strength and a robust fortitude that we would be the people that would just, like, that's nothing. We're establishing the gospel in West L.A. That's a big deal. 
And we're coming alongside of the Lord God Almighty who suffered on behalf so that we can have the final answer and the final victory. Is that a rhythm that we want? We have to ask ourselves. Five, verse five on chapter three. We're almost, we'll be able to cruise through. <laughs> this is funny. We're going to be able to cruise through the praise part. You know, the happy part, the heavy part. We'll just sit 80% in there, okay? Um, Verse 5, the tempter tearing that down. He's talking about, hey, what was built? Is there relational termites? Look at, look at that verse 5. He says this. He says, uh, do, 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 4, for when, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it's come to pass and just as you know. 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. Like he was getting driven nuts. He's like, I just need to know what's going on, right? Non-tech world, takes forever to get a letter back and forth. People are traveling. He's just like, I've got to know what's going on. When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. What he's saying there is the family that we built up, the the house of God, the gospel going out, the culture being changed, your neighbors being changed, your heart being changed, all of the things that he was praising God about. He's like, was there some kind of termite that came in and started to eat up this house of God? Was there some disintegration? Like what was taking place? And he's asking if they've given into that. And so we talk a lot about the word deconstruct. People deconstruct their faith. It's very popular right now. If you're a believer, you may have deconstructed part of your faith or you're working through things and you've been hurt by the church. You're like, forget the hindrance of Satan or blah, blah, blah. I've been hurt by people. And when we're hurt, we don't think straight, right? You don't make decisions when you're really hurt. That's called knee-jerk reactions, right? But we know that this is very popular in the spiritual culture right now in America. And I think it's a slight luxury. Because these, these guys weren't deconstructing because they needed each other. It was the biggest no-done in the history of the world that I needed another believer when everybody was criticizing and some of my brothers and sisters were losing their life and losing their jobs and they were being afflicted in their neighborhood. They were kicked out of their neighborhood. They were kicked out of social uh, uh, communities. They were not allowed different places. They were completely marginalized and put onto the edge. And we're, we're trying to go... What would this be like? The reason they were huggy-huggy on each other and in their lives, the reason they got real close is because they needed each other. We're faked out to think we don't need each other. Every church needs the other. The big church sometimes doesn't think it needs a little place like TCLA. Or we're faked out to thinking you don't need somebody in this room. You won't even open up your life to feel that or know that. But these people are desperate. They're like, don't tear my brother or sister away. He's longing to be with them. And he's just his biggest fear is that they would be sifted and that the relationships were disintegrating. And the things that counted most, they forgot. And that's us, right? But listen to this, you guys. This ancient book, this scripture, the Holy Scriptures tell us exactly what leads to deconstructing your faith. Verse 17, you lose heart for one another. Verse 18, you're hindered by Satan. Verse 19, a loss of hope. Chapter 3, verse 3, you're afflicted by something. I've seen people who love Jesus. I've served with people for nine years. My kids called this guy Uncle Warren, and he's not walking with Jesus at all. Elder type guy. Like disciple lots of people. Would have a lot of people he could show off before the Lord and he's gone, out of the game, establishing nothing. That's the termites that ate his heart and his mind. But, if, but look at that. Those frustrated plans can lead to deconstruction, and you will not even talk about missional plans at that point. Okay, praise plans. Here's what he says. Timothy came back, and this catalytic visit said, I've witnessed the family. They're joyous. Their love is intact. They're rocking and rolling. They're not seeking anything that God's not giving, but by the way, he's getting lots of glory. These people love each other. Love is intact. They've stayed it. They've weathered the storm. God is sanctifying him. The temptations, the afflictions, they're standing ground, and there they are, and their character is changing. They've been found to be faithful and fruitful. That'd be verse 7 and 9. And Paul, Paul 
continues in prayer because prayer is a foundation of sanctification. You speak to the Lord. He is the good healer, the doctor. He's changing your heart. He's shaping your character. You're being made into His likeness. And so Paul brings it back to prayer and is always praying and in petition. And so we see this, the epistle prayers at verse 10. He says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. We're constantly petitioning the Lord going, Lord, this soul needs this. It seems as though my sister needs this. The community needs this. Our culture needs this, Lord. We're desperate for that. Please continue to shape our character. No more deconstruction. No more termites of the soul. We want to present these souls to you, Lord. We want to care for one another. We want to be indebted the way to you because we see and we value our salvation. And so he wants to, he wants to come back to them soon as he closes out this part in the end of chapter 3, verse 11. He wants the hearts to be strengthened. And he wants them to be holy. He wants them to be set aside. So here's one question I would ask you, and I know questions will be coming my way. But what may be unique in this passage for you? I want you to think about that today. What is unique about this passage? What is, what is unique about talking about this affliction, talking about the things that hinder us? What is falling apart in your faith that you can talk to God about, that you can have your friends talk about? Where do you doubt? Where do you feel hurt? Right? As we walk through deserts, where do you need to be more loved? I think that's a big daddy. Where do you need more life growth? But Paul says that the community and the leaders, he demonstrates this, they're subject to one another out of reverence for the Lord. Remember the big picture? Here's the, the big nugget is he's talking about experiences. So whatever your experience is, is the big picture Jesus coming? Is, is that the end? Is that the crescendo for you? And is that so distant that, that your faith needs work, that you need to read more of the Word? You need to understand how to close that gap? You need to be what, the, what uh, Latin is, Quorum Deo. You need to be in the presence of God. You need to seek His face. But I can just tell you this, and I'll close. The last two weeks have been terrible in my life. Circumstantially. Do you know that I haven't felt terrible? I lost my job. So first time in my life, somebody said, we don't need you on this team. Wow, okay. Hmm. Do you know what happened? Uh, about a week and a half ago, I'm praying. We live up in Ojai. We have a little bit of space. I've got this nice little patio outside of my office, my home office. And I'm praying. And never in my life, I'm 52 years old. I came to Christ at 16. Grew up in Mishviho. And uh, since that day, last week, I had never, I mean, I've had some great prayer times in my life, and I like to pray. But I felt like I was this close to seeing Jesus' face. I looked out at this chair, and he was as far as we are from each other. And I looked and I thought, you're right there. Affliction, pain, worry, anxiety. Hindrances. I promise you, you don't think about any of that when you're in God's presence. And you're like, you're right here. And guess what? I went through my text. Now I'm going to get practical. For the two weeks that I've been having, I had all my prayer buddies and partners and people who actually loved me in the family of God. And I literally went through my text asking this question. Who's for me? Who actually loves me? Who cares about what I'm going through? Who would want to minister to my heart and present that to the throne of God because they helped me grow and they're showing off how they got to be a part of this soul growing? 
And you know what the answer was? Dozens. I felt like the wealthiest man on the planet. How I got that is I continued to buy in on God's plan and on his people. And it's a pain in the rear. Whenever I've started a church, I always drive away on the first like 15 people talking to God going, how am I going to start a church? I don't even like half of these people. And then they end up being your best friend. Can I pray for us? And here's what I want to pray. I want to pray that first that that word would speak to us. But that we would actually accept it. And that we would, but to me, the thing that I, I, I probably the whole summer, any place I got to speak, my big kick this summer is I don't see people that look like they've been loved too much. And so I'll probably be saying that for the rest of my life. I just have not run into people who have been overloved ever. But God's people have a, they view him wrong. He's not worth affliction. He's not worth attention. We're not waiting to meet him in the sky with the other saints, as Thessalonians says. We have no view of what heaven is like. We have no long game. And I think that's because we're not loved deeply and richly. So I'm going to pray that you'll be loved. We, let's dunk our heads. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you as much as we think we know, but I think you can blow our minds and just open up our hearts and do some more surgery. Lord, this is a unique, um, this is a unique scripture, but it's not. It's the plight of your people. Your people struggle. We move in and out of it. You think of the Old Testament people who want to be in your holy of holy places. We want to be in the temple. We know that that's the place to be, yet we're distracted. And Lord, to think of being afflicted for any reason or to have hardship, that's just not things that we sign up for. And you know we're little buggers like that. You know the way we run. And so Lord, call us back, corral us back into the places where we're going to be enriched, where we're going to learn. Ignite our hearts to, to receive more of your love so we can love people. So we cannot just like hold on and, and plug our nose like we're eating bad food, but that we're having incredible moments. We're breathing in the Spirit of God. We're exhaling your blessings upon one another. And then we're so stoked that we just come to your throne room. Like, but the most holy of royal places that you've invited us into to be in your presence by the shed blood of Jesus. So Lord, we're removed from you. We're all removed in some way. And, and your word and, and Romans just talks about just crushing all those things that keep us from one another. So nothing prevents the love of God. And so Lord, we want what you have given us in Christ Jesus, in the cross, that we don't have to struggle. We don't have to live in sin. We don't have, some of us cause affliction to others. Help us to stop, Lord. Help us to, to be restrained. Spirit, come over and be our greatest influence. Align these scriptures and the word of God to form us. Give us that, Lord. We want to receive that, that power, Lord, the power of resurrection. And so take the things that need to die and bring forth a floral, beautiful arrangement, God of things that are fragrant to you, that we would sense heaven and earth coming together. That we love you, God. I'm so thankful for this church. Thankful for each one of these people. What a great day it is to worship you and to call you Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.